0: Johnny, constantly talking is not necessarily communicating. This is episode three movies with five words or more in their title Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Okay, you owe me an apology for making me watch oh that movie.
1: <laughs> Eternal
2: Sunshine,
0: you didn't like it? Oh my God. I I don't know. I'm not usually the type to um like shut off a movie even if I don't like it. I think I only have ever like walked out of a movie theater once and it's because Anita wanted to go. Um, okay. so I finished it. It got better, but for the first like I don't know how long is the movie like under two hours. So let's say an hour and a half. I would say for the first like 45 minutes, I was like, just got to finish this. Like just got to get through it.
2: Interesting. I can't wait to hear about that.
0: Well, I, I don't know what it was because I didn't watch it. So my hopes can't have been that high for it, but it was one that people have talked about for a long, I guess we should say the movie eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. um, is one that, People have talked about it, about being so good and creative and original. And it's one of those things where you have a comedian, Jim Carrey, that's like playing dramatic. And it was like his performance was acclaimed. And just right from the beginning, I, I like it, it wasn't him personally. It, it, I have some issues with Kate Winslet um, in it. But <laughs>
2: actually, that makes sense.
0: <laughs> but I need you to sell me on it because I think I must be missing something. Um, maybe it's just the how popular and regarded it is. But you obviously like it a lot. Um, so I need you to yeah. sell me on why. Well,
2: I have a I have a lot of points, so hopefully I can persuade you at least a little bit. But uh, yeah, maybe we should start with the uh, with your your selection. Which one? Which movie did you choose? I did
0: um, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels by Guy Ritchie. Today's uh, category is movies with five words or more in the title. So once again, just a nothing <laughs> category. There's nothing to dis- <laughs> to discuss. I think we both did the right thing and picked movies where the real title is um, five words or more, rather than it being like Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. That's kind. That's kind of yeah. a cop out. Um, or like Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers. like that right. technically those would have worked. I think those ones will be coming up later. But these ones are actually the legitimate title is um, is five words. But that's pretty much all I have to say about the category <laughs> because it is not <laughs> a, a great discussion point in itself. Um,
2: I feel like uh, movies with super long titles, I don't know, maybe I'm just more cognizant of them. but does it is it just me? Or d- does it seem like the more like quote unquote, artsy the movie is, it has a more, sort of pretentious and long title like a movie that just came out recently is like portrait of a lady on fire or something like that like super long title but mm-hmm. like very indie indie produced i don't know maybe it's just a, a weird thing that i noticed
0: there's something about movies where um i know there are art house movies and there are indie movies and stuff like that but there's not the same degree of like you see it a lot in music where people will actively try to not turn off their fan base necessarily but like we'll get sick of doing the thing that they always do and we'll try to go in a completely different direction um and i don't know it's a it's especially different now because music's so cheap to record and produce but even before i would like the cost of recording um a song or an album wasn't cheap but it wasn't a million dollar budget like a a movie was so i think you can afford to like we talked about Nirvana last week, but they tried to do that with In Utero. Like the whole point of that album seemed to be to take the people that, the frat boys and everything that were really getting into the music that Kurt Cobain hated. He kind of wanted to turn them away and go back to like a more like raw punk sound. It didn't Uh, work, but they're like actively antagonistic to their fan base. And you can't really do that in movies because there's so much financial backing and companies and people you have to answer to. Um, Yeah. But you still get these... I have a hard time seeing how a title would turn somebody off, but I think you're right that there's a connection between how long they make the title of a movie and <laughs> what it is, pro- at least like projecting itself to be. Lockstock is a bit of an yeah. exception, but I do want to talk about Eternal Sunshine first. Um, kind of. Oh, okay. It's just, ah, uh, like you're going to have to sell me on it. Like I do have some notes. I didn't hate it once it was over, but I would not say I enjoyed it. Um, at any okay. Point.
1: That's fair.
2: No, you don't have. Like I said, we said it the first episode. I mean, I'm going to be blown away by some of the movies that you like and dislike, and I'm sure right. it's going to be the same for you. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, Eternal Sunshine. Um, for me, like when I get asked, not all the time, but it's some. It's a question I get asked, and it's something I, you know, will spend some time thinking about. Um, what my favorite movies are and I used to have a very defined list and have it ordered very meticulously but as I've gotten older I've sort of just it, it tends to just revolve around the same sort of you know five to ten movies that I can always go back to and yep. in that list Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is almost always um, included in that list because to me I think this movie is really brilliant and I think it's, it hits home for me because a lot of the themes that it covers um, I don't know if if you uh sort of looked at it from that perspective that's why i'm actually very curious to see what your thoughts on it were um but it's uh it, it's one that really kind of hits home for me so f- for anyone who's listening right now who doesn't have any truck for the sentimental um <laughs> when i talk about this movie i, I it's be- it's gonna be really easy for me to get kind of heavy-handed in it so i uh-huh. apologize in advance if i get a little bit melodramatic but i think it i think it covers some really relatable topics and that's why i think a mm-hmm. lot of people uh, get into it. Um, so basically, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's basically uh, it, it's a it's a it's a serious movie with Jim Carrey in it, which to me is always super refreshing when you see uh, like a comedian take on more dramatic work. And he plays uh, a guy who meets Kate Winslet, um, who plays a character named Clementine, and he immediately begins to slowly sort of start to fall in love with her, um, but then. Uh, you kind of realize that their relationship is a little bit deeper than what it initially seems. And that's pretty much as far as I can go without getting into major spoilers. So if you're still sticking around, uh, I'm going to be describing the entire movie because that's kind of the only way you can kind of dig into the meat of this. Um, but basically, you find out that they, at the very beginning, you f- you feel like they they're just meeting for the first time, but then you slowly find out that they've actually they were actually in a previous relationship for several years, but then through a fake procedure in the movie, they had each other's, they had the memories of each other's erased from their minds. Um, so this movie is actually, it's on the surface, it's kind of your typical indie sort of romantic drama, but it's actually it has elements of sci-fi in it and it covers some themes, I think at least, uh, sort of typical sci-fi tropes, which I'll get into a little bit uh, as we move on. Um, But yeah, there's so much, for me, there's just so much to like about this movie. I mean, the cast is just fantastic. I mean, that's, I think that's one thing that maybe, yeah, the cast is just outstanding when you realize, like, I don't know what the budget for this movie was. I don't imagine it was very big, but when you look at who's in it, you know, Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, uh, you know, sort of heading the cast, but then it's got Mark Ruffalo, it's got Elijah Wood, it's got Kirsten Dunst, Tom Wilkinson, just like really heavy hitting names. And they're all, to me, I think they're all just fantastic in it, I, especially Kate Winslet. I know that that might oh, cringe a little bit for me to say, yeah. but I I think she's great in it. Uh, you know, it, I, I only know Kate Winslet from Titanic. I don't know if you've seen her in any other. Never seen Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you've never seen, I've that? Never okay. seen
0: Titanic. Um, have, you, that's, have you seen? It is funny Kate um, Well, just about the cast. Like one thing I noticed, and I I ended up being wrong because I as I thought about it a little more, but um, I think that. At first, I thought that there wasn't a line spoken in the movie by somebody whose name I didn't know because it is Elijah Wood and Tom Wilkinson and Mark Ruffalo and all those people you mentioned. And I thought for a minute after it ended, I'm like, did I hear a line of dialogue from anybody (coughs) who isn't a famous person now? And there is his neighbor talks to him like the guy comes in and asks him about Valentine's Day and then uh, Tom Wilkinson's wife. But even so, there's right. like two people who I didn't recognize who spoke and every other line is delivered by somebody who we at least have some sort of relationship with. I would say... Or Kirsten has been Dunst. like the
2: star of another movie, yeah.
0: Yeah, I would say Kirsten Dunst is like the lowest on that totem pole. But even still, like uh, she was in all those Spider-Man movies and um Yeah, she's definitely in no quantity for sure. And she was pretty good in this. Um, that was a cool turn. I think that kind of stuff got me more into it towards the end um, where it turns out that she's had the memory procedure done. Like... That was, I thought that was a pretty clever way of getting them back to the present where they're, he's waiting for her outside, like they hear the tapes and all that stuff. And um, so it it saved it a little bit, but just, I don't know, man, like I just had a hard time with the first. So my my key question to you is what age did you watch this for the first time? Because I think that it's your opinion and you're not wrong. And even if you were defending it for whatever reason. I think part of the reason we like glom onto these things is it catches you at the right time. And I think we're Mm going to talk about this movie in the future. Um, I think the matrix is one of the ones on your list, completely Mm -hmm. different. Well, I guess not totally different. There's some overlap, I guess, with like whatever, but um, I saw that when I was like 22. And I think I was like too old for it. And part of it is I kind of knew the red pill and the blue pill stuff Mm -hmm. and movies had progressed so far. That the special effects were no longer like they were still good but they weren't like transcendent like they might have been in 1999 and I think I just kind of missed the window on it. Um, so I'm wondering yeah. when you first watched Eternal Sunshine and if that goes some of the way to explaining why it hit you the way it did.
2: Yeah, I mean I think I think the first time I saw it I actually can't even remember. It's just it's always kind of been uh, it's always kind of been on my radar I feel like it would have been probably when i was in the 11th grade maybe is when i first discovered it okay. or just entering university so you know 18 Late. 19 20 yeah so i don't have i don't have like a nostalgia for this like i do like star wars like we talked about um, earlier uh, i don't have like a childhood nostalgia to this, this film it just the themes that it covers to me really hit home and on the surface this movie like the, the thing that makes this movie really good for me is the is the script um, it's an Oscar-winning script. It won it won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay.
0: Yep. and the reason
2: why I think it was written by Charlie Kaufman, and it, this movie so easily could have been just a very generic, by-the-numbers, you know, romantic comedy or romantic drama of you know shy guy meets the sort of manic pixie dream girl, maybe it doesn't get her in the end, but at the end of the day, he's ready to open up. It could have so easily turned into that. Um, but it's executed in a way that is really easy to watch. And I think some of that is, you know, having a really star-studded cast, it makes it a little bit easier to watch as well. A little Mm -hmm. bit more digestible.
0: Um, is the panic, is panic, pixie, manic pixie dream girl. Is that like a character type? Because I have some things to say about this. If we're going to get into yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I
2: know, I know, I know. That I can pinpoint exactly why you didn't like a character. No, like it's that's one of the questions I had was like I've never really heard this kind of character is you, you see these all the time like it the the again the quote unquote manic pixie dream girl like Zoe Deschanel sort of eats uh, her lunch off of this off of this character archetype like every character she plays is this type. It's the kind of quirky girl next door who has a little bit of edge to her and a little bit of spunk. And it's not mm-hmm. just the goody two shoes girl next door. Um, so it, I, like, and just going back to what I was saying is like, I, I think it's executed. It could have very easily just been a uh, 500 Days of Summer or, you know, like a million other romantic comedies, but mm-hmm. you know, Roger Ebert, you know, very famous critic once said, it's, it's not what it's about, it's how it's about it. And the way that this movie kind of goes about your typical romantic comedy or romantic drama is unlike anything it's it's not like any other um it's not like any other romance film i've ever seen and part of that is because it has a lot of elements of sci-fi surprisingly Uh um because it takes it takes place sort of in the in like the near in the near future but it's not so overtly science fiction like Blade Runner or 1984 or Children of Men or these kind of very dystopic um, realities. It takes right. place, you know, in modern present day time. And the whole premise of the film revolves around just this fake procedure where you can have memories erased from your from your brain basically. And the way they describe it in the movie is also extremely believable. Basically what they asked Jim Carrey to do in the film is because he wants to erase kate winslet from his memory because they broke they had a relationship they had a messy breakup and he wanted to forget about it so they ask him to go to his apartment get all these different items from his house that reminds uh, him of her and so then they basically create a map uh, in his brain that they then essentially go and erase uh through a- uh, some procedures through movie magic They they get yeah. rid of it and the way again, the way they describe it is, is so is kind of cool because he says, "Oh, you know, is there a risk of brain damage?" And the doctor says, "Well, basically what we're doing is brain damage, but it's comparable to a heavy night of drinking. And to me, that's like super believable because I'm sure we've all had nights where we get super drunk and we can't remember a thing for what we did the night previous. And I think that kind of logic extends to here. So, it's it's science fiction cuz it's obviously a fake procedure but this is definitely a service that i could see being offered to people like not in in like 100 years but like more recently like in the next 10 years i could see something like right. this coming up or something similar to it yeah um and yeah like it's it's it, uh yeah I kind of drifted there but yeah I just,
0: so i my thoughts yeah, about so, the clinic were it's like i wrote like I, Hackneyed clinic. It was like it looked like a fucking walk-up, like inner-city medical clinic. Like for somebody <laughs> like, who's going like to go and take a clinic. yeah, like a brain scan and do all of this stuff, and they got all this computers and everything. And it could not have been more. And I know this was purpose. It's not like they just didn't have the money to spend on the set or the whatever. They could have made it more like white, pristine lab and automatic glass doors and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. they chose to make it like this, like wood paneled, like. You know, and where you'd meet your probation officer office, right? Know? Like it, it kind of right. reminded me of the scenes in Joker where he's going to see his like state counselor or whatever, and it's just like government fund. I know it's not government funded, but it's just low budget, and I don't know if that hurt or helped whether it was believable or not. Um, I don't yeah, know. I just like, again, kinda, I just took issue with it.
2: To me, it added to the believability of it because it just seemed like your sort of standard walking clinic. They didn't make a big hoopla about. Always oh, going to this you know secret laboratory. It's just you know a typical walk-in clinic. And if again, part of the reason why I enjoy the film is because I've I've seen it uh, multiple times, and you kind of pick out different different things every time you watch it. And if you listen to the background, you can hear Kirsten Dunst on the phone with another uh, you know supposed client um, of the of the clinic, saying, "Oh no, Mrs. Such and such, you can't have this procedure done more than three times in a month." Like so, it seems like something that has been, it's just a, an accepted reality of this of this setting. And yeah. so that's, and it, it doesn't make a big deal about, you know, it's super futuristic or anything like that. It's just something that happens in the near future, but obviously, you know, the service doesn't exist, but it just makes me, it, it adds to the realism. And that's why I think it, you could totally see it being something that would come out in the next, in the next, you know, 10 years or so.
0: Yeah there um, were a couple of affecting yeah. moments like there one thing i made a note of was um some of the other customers in the clinic the one guy's got um like a bag of the stuff they're supposed to bring all the personal effects of the person they're supposed to forget. Um, and yeah. he's got like, I don't know what kind of trophy it is, but it's obviously like a kid's karate trophy or a football thing or whatever. And he's clearly going to get his like memory wiped of his son dying or something like that. It's right. like, that, that, that kind of stuff is quite sad. And it reminded me that like, I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's like um, somebody challenged um, Ernest Hemingway to write the shortest story he could. And it was like, I bet you can't write a story in six words or less. And went away for a while and came back. And the story he wrote was for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Oh, And it's yeah. just like <laughs> heavy, heavy shit in six yeah, words. Yeah. And it's like, that's kind of what yeah. that reminded me of. And that I like, I can, I can see, and I can't see why somebody would go to get a breakup erased. Um, But the ability to erase trauma um, like that, I could see there being a huge market for, um, they're doing stuff with like, um, combat vets in the U S where they're like taking Mm -hmm. them, um, giving them like talk therapy and then also giving them like safe or whatever sort of doses of MDMA. Um, and it's using Mm -hmm. these like sort of drugs to like open up the chemical receptors of your brain to like, I don't know if it's exactly overriding like the painful, Trauma, like the PTSD that some of them might be going through, but it's like 90%, not just like goes into remission, but it's like cured. Like they get rid of Mm -hmm. the symptoms at like a, like a very high rate. The problem with it is they're using fucking ecstasy to like get these guys off um, their PTSD. So you can only do it in a very small clinic and it's never going to be approved for widespread use, but they're working on some of this stuff where like people could go and get specific types of trauma, um, overwritten. And I don't know right. if it's forgetting it to the same point, but you got to think taking drugs is sort of brain damage in its own way. Um, yeah. so I see the appeal of uh, not the appeal of the procedure for me, but I see the, the realism in the, the appeal. Sure. I just I had such a hard time with their, like the two, like it's not that they weren't good. It was, it's funny you mentioned 500 days of summer. Cause we're going to talk about this one in the future. We have our <laughs> yeah. shit, shit on Mark Webb day, but like, I yeah. Just, yeah. like I just, it, and Zoe Deschanel, I hated the relationship so much. Mm-hmm. And both of them were good. And De Deschanel was so good at being um, whatever her name is. Summer. Fuck. Summer. <laughs> <laughs> she was so good at being Summer that uh, I cannot see her as anybody else. And I hated Summer so much. And I think Everything, that's sort of yeah. the problem I have with Kate. Winslet also is not that she wasn't good. It was just, I wrote in my notes the opposite of Kate Hudson. I had the complete mm. opposite reaction to her as I did to Kate Hudson in Almost Famous, where I saw right. Kate Hudson at the top of that ramp and was just immediately in and in love. And I <laughs> was so put off by Clementine immediately. And yeah. I have no idea why. And I'm sure she was good. I just, it was like, it, it took me a long time to get into the. Um, you know the meat of the movie, I guess, or to actually like, sure, you know, like, yeah. Get into it. I mean, if that when you already are kind of put off
2: by certain things, it, it does kind of um, it does kind of flavor the rest of the experience for you. But it, just moving on, I, I, yeah, as the film kind of goes, like most of the movie is actually um, uh, Jim Carrey's character sort of actively experiencing what the procedure is like to have all these memories erased from him. And mm-hmm. in essence, he's kind of reliving his relationship with Kate Winslet and you get kind of a glimpse into the, you know, all the good times they had but also the bad times. And I think that's where this movie really sort of sets itself apart and excels. And that's why I really got to sort of applaud the this, this script because basically the reason why to me that um, this movie is so affecting is that it, it's just so relatable because everybody it doesn't matter who you are everybody has moments or memories that they just wish that they could forget about oh yeah and on and yeah like and it doesn't matter if it's you know going through like a really rough breakup or you know losing a loved one to illness or or anything anything that you want to forget about that brings you you know an immense amount of pain Mm -hmm. um but what the movie i think kind of illustrates is as joel is having these memories erased and he's experiencing this he slowly starts to realize that it's it's not so much the the negative memories that, that you ultimately hold on to. It's, it's the positive ones that you really want to cherish. Like there are, there are certain points in the film where he goes, oh, please just let me keep this memory. This was a really, really nice moment that I had with Clementine, yeah. I don't want it to go away. But then all of a sudden it's gone. And it, to me, it just sort of illustrates how just the entire film talks about how, you know, people go through really hard times in their lives and it's it, as difficult and uh, as uh, as hard as it can be sometimes it is necessary to just kind of experience those those really hard times and it's, it's necessary to kind of grow and evolve and you can only you can only do that i think the most effectively by making mistakes and having really uncomfortable moments because mm-hmm. um, if you go back and change all the mistakes that you made or go back and fix all the uh, all the hard times, you slowly kind of almost erase yourself because you're uh, and this is where the science fiction aspect comes in is because I think you, your identity, your identity, and this is covered in movies like Blade Runner, your identity or as they like to say, like your soul <laughs> again, going to get heavy here. So yeah. sorry for anyone listening. Um, it's kind of derived from your experiences and your memories and how you choose to perceive them. And so, what Joel kind of realizes is like, yes, he's removing all of these, all these hard memories and this, the, you know, the, the, the you know, the the, the, the hard memories of the breakup. But th- that also means getting rid of all the good times as well. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, the, the sort of the theme of the movie is, yeah, bad times really suck and they're always going to be with you. But when you contrast them against the good times, that's what makes the good times so good. And for me, like the the title of the film, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, this idea that you can always be happy if you have, you know, no, quote unquote, spots in your mind. That's an actually undesirable goal, because that just leads to a very unfulfilling, unsatisfying, very comfortable, but Mm -hmm. sort of unsatisfying life. You know, you need to have those moments of of pain and embarrassment to make the good times seem a lot better.
0: Yeah, like no darkness without the light sort of thing exactly it's all about balance you can't just
2: always be happy because then nothing means anything right Mm -hmm. that's that's how i see it and there's just all these little touches in the movie that just again this could have been very preachy i think this movie could have been really sort of just like it a a less skilled writer would have sort of just jammed it down your throat very you know not very deftly but again going back to the script there's just so many good lines that I, i just take away like there's a point where Jim Carrey says something like, "Constantly talking isn't necessarily communicating." Right. You know, I yeah. think a lot of I, th- I think a lot of people who go into relationships they feel a lot of anxiety when there's you know awkward pauses or something like that. Yeah, I think we've all we've probably all been to a restaurant and seen a couple sitting at a table and they're not talking to each other; they're just sitting there but at a certain point you just become comfortable with somebody and you just become comfortable in silence and
1: mm-hmm. and
2: just because you're constantly talking doesn't mean that you're not sort of enjoying each other's you know presence another quote that uh um Kate Winslet says is you know too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them I'm just looking for my own peace of mind don't assign me yours and this, i think this is something that a lot of guys and girls as when they're going into a relationship they kind of they look to the person who they're potentially going to date and think, oh, this person is just going to, this person is going to complete me. This person is going to bring, you know, all these good times that are missing from my life. But if you go in literally, and it, I understand it, it's a nice sentiment when you hear it, you know, in wedding vows or in movies, it kind of sort of illustrates, you know, how much this person means to them. But if you literally go into a relationship with the idea that this person is going to fix you, you're only going to, you're only going to serve to be disappointed or put, a ton of pressure on that other person. And um, I only say this from experience because I <laughs> absolutely am I am absolutely guilty of this. I've oh, yeah. definitely been I have definitely been on a number of first dates or even gone into full-blown relationships with people thinking that this was going to be the missing key to my life and things were going to be happy. And it it just it never turns out that way ever. Yeah. And and then also, like, other lines like that, like, and, you know, at near this sort of climax of the uh, of the film where Joel's finally kind of accepting that this procedure is happening and he's going to forget about Clementine a bit, um, he's kind of reliving these memories with Clementine and there's a point where she says, you know, come back and make up a goodbye, at least let's pretend we had one. I mean, I think there's tons of times where we look back on situations like, oh, I wish I would have just said this, you know, but it's too late. I'm never going to see this person again or I'm never going to have this opportunity again. I wish I would have taken uh, taken more. Uh, um, I wish I would have made better use of that opportunity. Right. And again, it, it, combine this with just like an amazing, beautiful score by John Bryan, who also scored Punch Track Love. The music to me is we're going to talk again another category, just uh, good movie soundtracks. I I like to listen to a lot of uh, movie soundtracks, specifically when I'm working, because they don't typically have lyrics and you can kind of bass out and just have it playing in the background. This one is one that I go to all the time. It's kind of, it has moments where it's kind of like quirky and fun, but then there's also really just sort of nice sort of heartfelt moments as well. Yeah. You know, the really good piano score. Um, Yeah, it's to me, like it's just taken together. It's just with the cast, soundtrack the scripts it's it
1: it
2: it seems like a very kind of hokey uh premise but to me i I can watch this movie all day and and take something away from it
0: so you're selling me on it a little bit um i don't think i'll ever go back and watch it and enjoy it but you're it's stuff i sort of thought before but a couple things you just said like not triggered but like reminded me of some things and um i guess i'm getting a bit more of the related Ability of it. Um, the thing you said about mm-hmm. the awkward silences. I think it was like my third or fourth date with Anita. We would just go to my apartment and we would sit on my balcony, and she would just sit out there. And one time it got like a little quiet, and this is pretty early on, so I know what you're talking about with the feeling where it's like, oh, you got to fill the space, you got to have something to say. And I started right. talking, and it must have been so obviously just to talk. And it's not that I was particularly nervous; it was just it, it, something. It just fill the space i guess <laughs> and yeah. uh she said she's like stopped me and was like you don't have to fill the space i'm happy just to sit here and be quiet i don't like um small talk for the sake of small talk and like i was like in on that right away because that's sort of what i'm like also like i just uh not that i don't like the small talk but somebody i barely know asked me a question i generally give them the straight answer even if it makes me look like negative or whatever the (laughs) effect of it is on other people like um someone we both know quite well when we were dating this girl another person came up to me and asked me how i felt about the university of ottawa she's like oh i really want to go there like i want to do my like teaching degree there and um she said so what do you think about the school i was like eh it's not the best (laughs) like it's it's it doesn't have like this worked for me i'm not a very like spirited person and there's no school spirit there it's not like a fun energy or environment and it's a very fractured campus because there's half of it is French and half of it is English and like it was Mm -hmm. fine and then the girl's like okay like thanks (laughs) and she left (laughs) and then my then girlfriend was like why would you say that to her (laughs) like you've met her twice and you're gonna just like shit on this school that she like you went to (laughs) and she wants to go to like she asked me what I Thought I don't care that I barely know this person. It's like they wanted an answer. I gave them the answer. They're gonna go make the, I, if she gets influenced by what this random dude tells her about a school she wanted to go to. She wasn't ever gonna go anyway. Um so, so for Anita to say something like that and just be like, you don't have to fill the space, you don't need small talk, just like if you want to say something, say it, like just cut right to it and like absolutely like yes, I'm yeah, I'm in on that a hundred percent. Like, um, you know, and it's it sounds a bit cheesy, but those are the kind of moments that you remember quite clearly because it's like you get to know these people so well and then you obviously our relationship is not a fraction as bad as uh joel and clementine's is but even Mm -hmm. now four years later like those those are small but significant things you wouldn't want to lose if something did happen It was like and it was just a throwaway line on our fourth date or something like you know so i i can see why you would you don't want to throw the good with the bad. You want to sort of cling to these like good moments. And um, the thing that I found so interesting, but also so irritating was the difference between, and actually a little bit upsetting <laughs> is the difference <laughs> between. Uh, I didn't like Kate Winslow at the beginning. I did on the train. I didn't like her. I don't know if it was the hair or anything. I just was not into it at all. And as he's going into his memories of her, I started to like her better. And I don't know. My theory on that is he's got this like sort of idealized version of her in his head. Um, And Mm -hmm. as she becomes more and more of a memory and less of a real person, he's like shaping her into the woman that he wanted her to be not who she actually is. I'm sure there's some crossover between what she's actually like and what she's like in his memory. But when she's Mm -hmm. playing like the sixties mom and he's baby Joel under the table and she was awesome. Like I was like, that's where i started to (laughs) like her and then when they're in the woods and they're sitting on the tree trunk like she's just so like soft and nice and kind and then you meet real clementine and she's fucking terrible like i just it made me wonder like how much of his actual relationship with her is based on his something it's not who she actually is like i don't think she's like that but he's remembering her in a way that i think is sort of false and it's one of those things where you can they say that Irish people say this um, if they're going to get divorced, like somebody who's like Irish Catholic marry somebody who isn't. And they've, I've heard it's from the departed, but I think it's a pretty common sentiment where they're like, you're going to have to leave me because I'm Irish. I'll stay in this thing forever, you know? And <laughs> there's something to that when having been in that myself is like, you're going to have to break up with me because like I would have just kept doing it. I would just found a way to deal. It wasn't so terrible. I couldn't imagine keeping doing it, but now that I'm out, feels pretty good (laughs) and you know so i wonder if it's that sort of thing as he's looking back even though they're trying to erase all these memories the thing that he's clinging to is like these not only only positive memories but like fake positive memories well she does become a different person
2: well i think the maybe i think the point of that was it's not so much who she actually was versus who he thinks it was it it's ultimately how I mean ultimately at the end of the day a relationship is based on how the other person makes you feel and so it's kind of irrelevant as to whether or not she was actually being terrible to him he remembers having good times and feeling good while he was around her Mm -hmm. and you know yeah you kind of look at you know I think the film does actually a really good job of sort of shining a light on sort of the, uh, the sort of eventual tendencies of relationships there's a certain scene actually um that i go back to uh where they're eating dinner at a chinese restaurant somewhere and again they're they're just sitting there eating their meals and not speaking to each other and in his head he thinks he says a line are we the dining dead you mm-hmm. know are we just are, are do we have nothing to say do we have nothing left to say to each other um but again like so it's moments like those that are are comfortable and awkward but you you kind of take it all together you take you take the good like we kind of just talked about you take the good with the bad and at the end of the day, even though the bad times may have been kind of bad and she may have said some really mean things to him, he he remembers how he felt while he was around her. Like there's the, the poster yeah. of the film is then on the ice. And it doesn't matter that, you know, they're not at a fancy date. They're just together lying on ice, you know, just looking mm-hmm. up at the stars. And he says you know i'm happy it doesn't matter everything else is irrelevant everything else is meaningless i could die right now cuz i'm i right. i feel i feel the way that i want to feel right when i'm when i'm with this person mm-hmm. so i think you know this idea of oh who's the real clementine you know is she just a, a figment of his imagination is he just sort of sort of elevating her and you know putting her on a pedestal i, I don't know if that really makes a difference the, i think this the point is just she makes him feel you know loved basically
0: right so do you think they had a good relationship i guess is the question because i think i'm only focusing on the bad stuff and how fake the good stuff is so do you think objectively well that they had a good... i mean
2: i i'm not saying that i'm into the type of girl that <laughs> cometine is but i at the same time like it doesn't it doesn't really matter it's just like you know on on the surface they seem like two very different people but you know who knows how you know who knows how they, they those two characters made each other feel while they were dating you know it's right yeah, i think we see couples all the time it's like how are those two people together they're so different but yeah to to claim that you understand how a relationship is with just looking at it and not actually being a part of it mm-hmm. uh, you know that's I, I don't think that's in that's anyone's place to to you know cast judgment i guess
0: well i'm not asking you to, to like it's the, it's a movie though like they just like do you was I don't know what the question is, but for everything that happened and to him have like he got a get out of jail free card to me when she wiped him. (laughs) That's how I looked at it. Is he was off? He was out, and then to go back, I couldn't understand. Like I know he forgot because they wiped his memory, but when you hear all of, if I heard all of that shit on the tape. I, like i know it's coming from a bad place but there's no way i'm going back into that and i guess he had <laughs> yeah. the advantage of seeing what he forgot but you know, i just think like i i don't know i just i didn't buy it i it's it ma- just made him seem desperate and lonely and just nice to have a person around and yeah. speaking of relatable there's a lot of that going on um with people just want to have a partner it doesn't matter who but At the same time, like I just there was when he wanted to erase her, it was like, I don't know, it just seems so he I don't know, it just felt like going back to a prison. (laughs) You know, he was free. And then he, they they opted to go back. And
1: well, I
2: think that's kind of kind of ties up just again, just sort of going to what the theme of the movie is, is like, yeah, you know, it's a relationship is never going to just be. You know sunshine and unicorns all the time there's going to be times where you have really bad moments and that sometimes is what leads to a, a breakup i guess and yeah what he kind of discovers throughout the course of the movie is he values the good times that he had with clementine more right. so than the uncomfortable sort of ugly moments that he had and that right. you know i think they even touch on that you know they bring up a point that you've just said is clementine when they at the end of the movie when they discover that they actually had a relationship and they they listen to the tapes and they and they almost it's it left up to the viewer to see if they get back into a relationship but she says something to the effect of you're just going to feel the exact same way that you felt before he's like well you know, like Ugh. i'm willing i'm willing to take that risk if if you are that's mm-hmm. kind of where it gets maybe a little bit cliched, but
0: um yeah cuz that happens I, to me <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I I still deal with that all the time. Anita's got this like fixed view that like people don't change. They kind of are who they are. And it it's yeah. a good thing in a way, because it means if you like somebody, you're always gonna like them. But I'm constantly having to say about certain things. It's like that's not the case. Like people will like grow and you're right, like grow and evolve and whatever. And it's like just because something went one way, or because there's a big thing here in China where it's like, um, People who are foreign and come over, I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of them have been warned to like look out for people who are trying to get a visa or trying to get mm-hmm. um, pregnant here. And right. it's a, I, it's it's not exactly racist, I guess, but there's a little bit of like that sort of tinge to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and maybe there's some some truth to it also. And it's like just be careful. Like, not everybody's like that, but it's been known to happen. So just watch your back. But here the thing is, like part of the thing I had to like talk to Anita about was like she's had there's lots of stories, and I'm sure they're pushed because it's like the anti-foreigner narrative a bit here, but she's had friends who have like met a foreigner and even in some cases had a kid, and then the guy just jets. And it's like, you can just like, they're stuck here because the visa process is hard. And now you have kids and you can't just take up and go. Um, And the foreigner dad, in most cases, can just like bail. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so you have to say the sort of thing where it's like, I'm not that guy. I know I'm a white foreigner and you're a Chinese person with a kid. And, but that doesn't mean that that story is going to play out over and over again. Like, just because it happened to somebody else doesn't mean it's not like a archetype of like white, white devil (laughs) coming in and like you know like it's not it's not it's cliched and it isn't at the same time like you sort of have to take it at its its face and I guess I don't know what my point is I just like I still just have such a hard time with the going back
2: well I think the I think if you look at it if you look at the message of the of the film just from the prism of just a relationship and a breakup then it might be then yeah i think you kind of get stuck in that loop it's like oh why would you go back to that relationship you were miserable but i think the the broader message is that it doesn't matter wh- whether it's a breakup whether or not y- you failed at something that you put a lot of work into whether or not you know your grandmother passed away and you were really close to her or you know a friend left uh, or anything like that any kind of painful experience that you have
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: the key the key is not to is not to just erase is not to just erase the the memory of it, but yeah. it's this idea that it, that kind of shapes you and it it toughens you up. It's kind of that phrase, you know, whatever doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. You know, mm-hmm. if you know that you can get through something like that and and survive it, then that leads to a more satisfying and fulfilling life. Like say every single time you, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but say every time you tried to do something and you keep failing at it and it was really embarrassing and you and you just never, and you wanted to forget about it yeah you could you could have that wipe from you, but then you've lost that lesson that you've lost all of the all the learning yeah. that you took took away from that failure. Mm-hmm. Like failures is like very, very, very informative. and it, uh, it, it, it it some of the most important lessons that you'll ever learn are in moments of intense failure or shame or embarrassment. And right. you can either you can either kind of succumb to it or you can take it learn from it and become sort of a better person as a result of it
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's
2: yeah and, the, I, and yeah. this this movie uses a relationship as the backdrop to kind of tell that story in a way that yeah it, you can you again yeah you can look at it just from the perspective of just a relationship but for me i I, I take it as a more as a sort of a more broad theme this idea that you know part, life is extremely hard sometimes and Mm-hmm. you know you're gonna you're gonna experience some really hard things and you know you could just live a really blissful sort of ignorant life but for me that's i i'd, I'd rather i don't i don't necessarily want to live a comfortable a uh, uh, you know unfulfilling life i want to live lives are messy and unpredictable and that's kind of yeah. makes them fun and exciting
0: mm-hmm. yeah and at the like you're selling me on it. you'll never make me like her or even the movie. I don't think but i'm I'm really starting to see some of the like they have a point um and I guess it's not their point. It's like a generally accepted like maxim of how to live life effectively is to not shy away from your pain or your whatever it's to yeah
2: I think they use a relationship because that's that's a very relatable thing. I think most people. Have gone through at least one breakup in their lives and they suck. They're really, really hard for anyone who has gone through one. I think anyone uh-huh. can agree with that. And so I think that was their way of getting, uh, of getting people on board. Yeah, you know, the, the people involved in this specific relationship may not be your cup of tea, specifically Kate Winslet for you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, say, I, I don't know who, say say it was someone like Anita or something like that who you know is someone who you do really resonate with and then you might you might have seen the film in a, a different light i guess
0: yeah um yeah i know what you mean it's and i don't know i just think like some of the stuff that really did hit home was uh um when you go to kiss somebody and they turn your cheek and you just get their <laughs> cheek that was like that was a fucking hammer at home moment like
1: it, Has ever, if I'd, you had,
0: had, oh my god like Oh, that's the worst. That drives me insane. And that's one of the ones where I don't know if I actually said it out loud, but there's a pretty good chance that when she did that, I was like, oh, come on. Like, that's just like, that's a raw nerve for me. Like I...
2: I don't know if I've ever it, actually tried to go in for a kiss and got like literally got the cheek. I think there definitely have been times where maybe I've gone for it. You go like fifty percent in, expecting the person to come the other fifty percent, mm-hmm. but they just kind of stare. At, they kind of just stare at you, puzzled, and it's just super awkward. So but
0: that's, that's not basically even that. getting the cheek. But that's like <laughs> a that's like a first kiss or like a meaningful one. This is just like we're doing. Well, I'm just Oh, you are. You are already dating. Point.
2: You are already dating the person you got the cheek.
0: Yeah. And it's not like i I'm done with you forever kind of thing. It's just like, I'm a little bit mad or I'm whatever. And it it used to happen way more than it does now. But even when it happens now, I've told her, I was like, this is not something that you have made me feel this way. But when this happens to me, it reminds me of a time where it used to happen to me all the fucking time. And that I guess, you know what? I don't want to erase that, but that goes to your point. That nerve is so raw from something that was like 10 years ago that when it happens now it's just like it, it's so, it's such a raw nerve I just can't I don't get angry I don't like start like being like what is wrong with you <laughs> but it is like you just feel like that rush of like well that's a piss off like that really makes me me oh my mad God, well, so I I hope there it's, is these I like
2: I hope this movie doesn't like ruin your relationship because that's one thing <laughs> no, I will say. Won't. If you are going to watch, if you are watching this movie for the first time, if you're interested in anything that we just talked about, and you want to go see it, I I don't think this is the best movie to watch on a date. I did, and I know for an absolute fact that afterwards we went we went and ate at a restaurant after watching this movie, and you know it was one of those moments where it was one of those dates where you just yeah you don't really have much to say to each other. You're just kind of casually talking, and I am convinced to this day that she was thinking about this movie and was thinking about the line are we the dining dead and that impacted her her decision to end the relationship with me <laughs>
0: how soon afterwards oh I, I
2: can't remember it was a number of years ago I just know that we we went to dinner and it was it was kind of a quiet dinner but it was right after watching this movie and I, yeah. I'm convinced I have no evidence to support this but I'm convinced that she uh she was thinking about that scene mm-hmm. maybe it's my own biases I don't know
0: well <laughs> I don't want this to sound like I am like using people, but it's like, when you look back on it, I again, relationships that I've been in, you do find the things that were like growth moments. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's sort of all I remember now that it's been like many years. Like one of the ones I remember was there was, um, I was at the person's house and somebody was watching a horror movie around the corner and it was like an open living room and the kitchen was like, you could see the TV from the kitchen and they're watching a horror movie and I fucking can't watch horror movies like any of them. <laughs> and so they put this thing on. So I just like went around the corner to the nook where you couldn't see the screen. And it was like, it was fine. I could hear the sound. I wasn't going to leave, but I wasn't going to sit there and watch the horror movie over their shoulder. Cause it was just unpleasant for me to watch that kind of movie. So somebody brought it up. They're like, why did you, move and i was like i can't watch that kind of movie like they're so scary like if i just like watch those movies like i um you know i i can't sleep i have like really weird dreams about it like it just like it latches on so i won't even watch like a second of them and uh, somebody in the family goes that's not the kind of thing you tell people and i think it was like (laughs) to me it was just like uh oh that's embarrassing for you why would you share that and then i was like I didn't say this, but it's like, I've known you for like four fucking years. If you can't accept a little <laughs> quirk that I don't like a horror movie, like I was so offended by the principle of it, even though it was a perfectly nice thing to say. It's yeah. just like a throwaway comment. I'm sure there was no ill intent behind it. And it was just got my fucking back up. Like I just got um so mad about the what it signified about how people should behave. And I I was like, it took that moment and I just ran with it. I was like, that's, I'm never going to do that. I don't care if it's embarrassing. If they think it's embarrassing and they can't handle it, then they're whatever. I don't care. And, um, another one was like, uh, trying to make a fairly big purchase as a couple. Um, and just being convinced to be like, just do it. Like, just go ahead and spend the money. Just like, you know, it's a good opportunity to just take advantage of it. And I, this isn't true We're by no means poor, like my family is not poor at all, but there's a bit of a chip on my shoulder about money. And there has been for a long time. Like we are like had everything we wanted. We're completely taken care of. But when somebody says, and to this day, somebody says, Oh, just spend the money. It's not that much. Like, you don't know that. (laughs) Like, I just got (laughs) so mad. So they're giving me this advice. It's like, it's a good opportunity. You should take advantage of it. Just spend the money. Just do it. And I was like, it's so easy for you to say that I need time to think about it. Like, and it was just like, again, the same sort of thing. It was perfectly good advice. They're being nice people. They're coming from a nice place. But what I remember from that was like, just taking away, like, you got to stand up for, for something. And like, I do think about those moments where it's like, I learned something about myself and it makes you feel like these, like people you date in the past are just like, vessels for you to like learn and grow but like that's sort of what it is (laughs) you know it wasn't what it was at the time but it turns into that
2: i mean it is you're kind of right when you describe it like that but um i mean it's again that might be a little bit of a blunt way of of describing it of of just saying that they're just vessels for you uh, for lessons for you to learn but but i mean but you're you know you're you're right there that's i guess if you want to boil it down that's that's kind of what it is if you if you choose to look at it that way but no you yeah you can glean a lesson from any kind of experience and mm-hmm. again i think that's what this film you know sort of illustrates so well it's this, you know life is messy and you know it's it's messy and hard and but uh, you know who wants who wants to who wants a just an easy kind of boring life
0: you know yeah not, not high yeah no and to make it just a little bit more personal i do and i was just talking about this last night with her with anita We met. We went out, and then she left early the next morning. (laughs) And (laughs) when the, and then I messaged her, and it was like seven in the morning, and I must have been going to work or something. And she answered right away. And she works at night, so I said like, "Why are you up?" And she was like, "Do you want to know?" I'm like, "Yeah." Like, why not? She goes, "I'm taking my daughter to school." And it wasn't like she hid Vivian from me or anything. It was only our. It was the day after I met her. She didn't come up that night, but the next day we were talking and right away she told me and I know there's people that like hide that or wait for the right moment to drop that information and she just kind of told me and I got the message and my response was like I guess I thought I would care more about this like I guess this is something (laughs) that would have made me just be like no sorry I'm not in the right place I can't do it it was like I had every opportunity to walk and it was like not not that it wasn't scary or at that point it wasn't a responsibility it would be a year before i even met vivian but it was just the sort of thing where it was like who of course it's going to be harder to take on that kind of responsibility it would have been so much easier to be dating somebody who was without child (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of complications that come with dating somebody who is not the same citizenship as you who lives in a different country whose language isn't the same as yours and who has a kid but it's been fucking great. Like it's been awesome. And, you know, like there's a lot of like cookie cutter relationships with people who are in the perfect situations that are terrible. This is Mm -hmm. objectively not an ideal situation, but it doesn't feel that way to live it. You know, like who wants, who wants to be normal? Who wants to be boring? Like this is like particularly strange circumstances for a 27 year old to be in, but I don't want to be doing anything else. Like, so for you want this idealized version of whatever you don't want any trouble, you want everything to be like completely happy and easy. Why? Like it it sounds boring. Like, we're gonna talk about this movie in the I future. Think, um, heat, I, I, heat will I come think up. Yep. Yeah. And uh, when uh, De Niro and Al Pacino are having dinner at the or coffee at the diner, um, Al Pacino's the cop, and he asks Robert De Niro. He says like, "So you never wanted like a normal type life instead of being a um, robber or thief, you never wanted a normal life. And Robert De Niro goes, what's that? Like barbecues and ball games? It's like that's like sounds terrible. And yeah. it's sure it's not, but there's something to that. It's like to have everything play out exactly the way it should. Eh, not interested. I think you, you know it's like it's a I, little I, bit boring.
2: I, I think you just saying that just kind of reconciled the grievance that you had with Joel going back into, you know, a quote unquote ugly relationship with Clementine. I think you just you just perfectly highlighted that. It doesn't really matter what what someone, you know, is observing. It's 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 mm-hmm. ultimately the people who are actually actively in the relationship and how they feel when, the, when
0: they're in it. Yeah, I guess my problem is he didn't seem happy. The happy moments were few and far between. Where mine, it's like the situation seems tough from the outside and on the inside, it's not a problem. For him, it was like right. they're two single people and they're dating and on the inside, it seems like a fucking mess. So, but then like the as, the, as the movie
2: plays, but then as the movie plays out and he's having the memories of race, he, that's his journey to kind of realizing like, oh, you know, I actually had a lot of really good moments with this person. I don't want the, right. I don't want to forget about her.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You sold me on it a bit. I, at least I can see <laughs> myself in parts of it where I was just sort of writing them off before. Um, it wasn't terrible. And like I said, I got more into it as it went on. The stuff with the house falling apart was really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. that special effects stuff was really cool. Um, however, I think the force perspective of like him being under the table as baby Joel was awful. Like it was so bad. Like I, I I was reading the Wikipedia on it and they said they made a big deal about using like, um, force perspective, which funny enough, they did in Lord of the Rings with Frodo and Gandalf and like the cart that's shaped different or tried to make the, they shot in different distances from the lens to make the hobbits look short. Um, That was well done. This was like, I couldn't stop seeing how stupid it looked. And I think it was maybe partly intentional because it's like a memory and things are going to be distorted and warped and whatever. But I just was like, this looks awful.
2: Yeah. I mean, for me also, like I, when this movie kind of sells itself to me, just Again, I keep going back to just the script and the music. It little it, for me, like a, a technical flaw like like poor, poor mm-hmm. perspective, it, it, that kind of just bounces off me. I didn't I, right. I, I didn't even know that that's what they did. I thought it was just <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't even recognize I just the point of that scene is that he's kind of reliving a memory where he was a kid, I guess, and no, I, I didn't even realize that, uh, that they were using forced perspective in the, in that shot, but uh, maybe, maybe, if I'll, you watch
0: it again, you can tell like, she it, yeah. looks huge and ugh, it yeah. just it wasn't very good. And But I did love her. I love Mad Men, the TV show, and she was like every, the dress and the way she was acting and it was like, Joel was a kid, so he's probably 1960 something. It just reminded me of like betty draper how much i fucking love betty draper in those in <laughs> mad men and she just the style yeah. of it and it, i was take i guess it's a good performance by kate winslet because she was so much more different and charming as that woman mrs whatever the mom's friend um yep it, and it was such a contrast to clementine um mm. so again there's there's lots to take away from it i didn't hate it i just like ah god I just it was it's a rough <laughs> it was a rough start to the the movie for me
2: if the if the character of Clementine was written a little differently then maybe he would have gotten off on a better foot perhaps
0: maybe. um, I don't know what it was. It just did not take to her right away. I think they kind
2: of just showed like I mean the Joel uh, Jim Carrey's character is you know clearly very introverted and very shy and very quiet, whereas Kate Winslet is the exact opposite end of the spectrum. and I guess it may, I don't know maybe that was a, just their way of showing how you know, two seemingly unbelievably different people can, you know, find something to like about each other. You know, I don't know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know how long they dated for the first time. Does it ever say? Like,
2: uh, I can't remember if they specifically say, I get the impression it was over the course of maybe two or three years or something like that.
0: Wow. Okay. I was going to say a couple of months, but who knows?
2: And maybe it is, maybe it is. I, I, I don't know if they ever explicitly say, but I get the impression that mm-hmm. they, they you, the point is, is that they had and not not an insignificant relationship they were they were a very big part of each other's lives
0: there is a thing here too i watched them all on these chinese apps and i don't think it happened to this movie because there wouldn't have been anything that was particularly awful or sensitive or anything but there's the potential that something was cut and i don't know what it was i don't think that's the case but there is a chance i just missed something um I don't think there's a gratuitous sex like scene, a scene or anything like that. Yeah. I don't think that happened, no. but like maybe I'm missing a key thing that they cut for content, but probably not. And,
2: well, the um, editing in this movie is a little bit, um, is a little bit unique. It's a nonlinear story. It's kind of like Pulp Fiction where they don't, the film doesn't just happen sequentially. So it might've just been just the, the nature of the editing that may have thrown
0: you off a little bit. Right. Any final thoughts on eternal sunshine and the spotless mind?
2: I mean yes at the end of the day this is still you know one of my favorite movies of all time i can always go back to it and and take something away from it i i, I stand by jim carrey and kate Winslet's performance I, I didn't even touch on mark ruffalo elijah wood kirsten Dunst, or tom wilkinson mm-hmm. but they have i mean they're just all fantastic it, i i recommend this movie to anybody because i think anybody can watch it and identify with it I, you know I, I i still stand by that um yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, this is uh, this is firmly in, in. this is firmly one of my favorite movies of all time for sure.
0: Well, I'll try to appreciate it more. <laughs> maybe I have to give it a second time, second chance. Maybe, uh, maybe. One thing I thought you, or I guess it was my question, but an interesting thing is when things hit you and you were with me when this happened to me, but I think moving into our next movie, like the moment I started caring about movies, I would say for the first couple of years that Guy Ritchie was my first favorite director I was into everything and it's I still don't think I fully understand what a director does or even what they I know what they are but I don't get like I don't know we've talked you don't know the role that they play in the. well I just I don't see I don't I don't know what makes a best director I guess the same thing with the Oscars I guess nobody does but um I don't know. I, I can't even say he was my favorite director. I guess what I meant by that was he made movies that I really liked. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's
2: at the end of the day, I think that's what you should kind of take it. I wouldn't look at it from the perspective of, Oh, what makes a good director based on who the mm-hmm. Oscars give it to? Cause that's such a political shit. Right, show. No, no, no. I think, I think when it comes to you know, a director, it's typically, typically it's their, it's just their vision of a script. And that's why mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when you see um, filmmakers, we, you know, enthusiasts of film kind of really champion the, the writer director, the, the guy who yeah. writes the script and then executes on that vision, you know, and that's why, you know, some of the best directors of all time also write their own scripts, you know, it's not to say that a good director can't write uh, or can't film a movie um, based on a script that was written by someone else, but
1: the mm-hmm. vision,
2: what you see on screen And how things play out is typically, that's typically decided by the director,
0: I think, at least. Right. And I think Mark Gondry for Eternal Sunshine got an Oscar nomination because he co-wrote the movie. But I think it was like already made. Or yeah, sure, whatever. He sounds like an asshole (laughs) from what I read about him. But it sounds like he like co-wrote the movie, but probably like took the first draft had co-wrote it as in he like made it more of a movie script and added to it. This guy, and like that guy kind Richie's of stuff, stuff is all the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm not taking it away from him. I'm sure he made some yeah, significant yeah, yeah. Con- contribution to it, but this guy Richie's script and for a lot of his at least first couple movies, it's all him. Like it's one voice and yep. it's shot in the way and yep. it's like I I don't know. I have it's This or Snatch are his two best movies for sure sort of leaning towards this one as i watched it again this morning um i noticed there's a lot of similarities between um this not even similarities in tone and setting but just like in actual shots and the way things are done there's a lot of overlap with snatch and i do wonder if like having watched it now that it being the original not that the original is better but when you see it twice it's like it, it. Some of the stuff was really, really cool to see in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Um, yeah. There's a lot, a the lot first, of similarities. Was this
2: the first Sky Ritchie movie that you ever saw?
0: Um, probably. Uh, it seems weird though because it's like, despite being he's a pretty big director and was for a long time, um, it still has a bit of like an indie underground feel. Like I don't, you had to buy it, oh, so I don't yeah. even think it's available. Not even the way it's shot, but just like. I don't think it's very popular um, and I don't know well, how I found it.
2: One of the, th- in my research for the, in, cause this was one of the first times I'd actually watched it all the way through. Um, but yeah, just doing some quick research. Yeah. It was only the budget for the film was $1.3 million. So this wow. is an independently funded, this is an independently funded movie and it made 28 million. So it's always refreshing mm-hmm. to see, you know, an indie film have an amazing success like that. And then that, that led to snatch and, right um and to so of so his bigger more studio produced films
0: but i don't know the origins of how i found out about that movie yeah. like i don't know what led me to watch it in the first place and i cuz they're not on Maybe tv it was jason. there was no netflix we were kind of on a
2: we were kind of on a jason statham binge weren't we
0: that's true i like again to directly related to guy richie being my favorite director i think that for a long time jason Statham was my favorite actor which shows you how little yeah. i know about acting
1: um, <laughs> because i
0: don't think he's particularly good at acting i think he's more like the stunt kind of things he's known for now he's a lot well, more he's great in this movie he, he's good like yeah, i don't think he's he stands out for being terrible but i wouldn't say he's like a classically trained like no no you know like nothing, nothing no, like that yeah. but it's cool and is they're good movies they're a little bit more subdued like I was so excited for the expendables and I think that was the like the death knell yeah. for action movies for me I still like them but not to the same degree that I did and that one I remember watching be like this is fucking awful um, <laughs> but up until that point transporter movies we already talked about we both really mm-hmm. like those and uh, this one and snatch both of them yeah, yeah. That You know what? Maybe that's what it was. That's maybe what yeah. got us into um, or got me into Jason Statham and then to Guy Ritchie because he's in at least three Guy Ritchie movies.
2: Oh, yeah. He's uh, a constant. Directors tend to like casting similar actors because they know, I think, they just know how to kind of get good performances out of them. And yeah, Jason Statham for sure is mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a typical casting choice for guy richie no, no yeah question.
0: and there's a lot of them um alan the bartender ends up being like the main villain in snatch um vinnie jones like the soccer player now actor plays chris or big chris in mm-hmm. um, lock stock two smoking barrels he's bullet tooth tony in uh yep. snatch um there's a lot of a lot of people from from both um I really like this movie, and I saw this in your notes. But I noticed the same thing. It's funny, like it's like it's, it's action and it's twists and but not confusing, and it's funny. Like it's a really, really good movie. Even what is it now? Like t- twenty-two years old. It's. it's um, it came out a long time ago, but yeah, it looks I, older. I was, up, I was definitely not caught
2: guard, but I was pleasantly surprised at just how funny and how witty the dialogue is, and. He, yeah. Like, yeah a director definitely has his own style but Guy mm-hmm. Ritchie definitely you can tell that he, he takes a lot of influences from uh, like Tarantino with that, that sort of witty dialogue um, mm-hmm. you, you can just tell just from the way the characters speak in it and it's, it is very very funny
0: <laughs> I have a question for you that's maybe going to be publicly embarrassing <laughs>
1: that's alright go <laughs> for you it you <laughs>
0: wrote in your notes that it's Sergio Leone and um Quentin Tarantino, you can see the influence. Is that something you realized or is that something you read?
2: Uh, A little bit of both. Okay, because I read your
0: notes first and then I saw on the Wikipedia page of Guy Ritchie, he says, I owe a lot to Quentin Tarantino and Sergio Leone.
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) okay. (laughs) No, I definitely... Okay, I'll just fully admit. Yeah, I definitely took those from that exact Wikipedia article. But you can definitely... I know exactly in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, I will say, honestly, like my thought went to that, like specifically at the end with yeah, the, the revolver and the standoff, like that's very, <laughs> that's right out of a spaghetti Western. And
1: uh-huh.
2: I I didn't directly think Tarantino, but the way that the characters kind of interact with each other, there's these very dialogue heavy mm-hmm. scenes. You definitely yeah. get shade. It makes, I'll, I'll say I didn't, I didn't arrive at that observation independently, but I could definitely, right. <laughs> I definitely saw it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, it's funny. I do think that, there's a big contrast between him and Tarantino and to be completely honest, this is something I read also, but I noticed that watching it again was, I say, I went to go see once upon a time in Hollywood with my mom, Mm -hmm. which was not a problem until the scene where the Manson family breaks into his house and it's so over the top. And like, have you seen (laughs) once upon a time Time in Hollywood? Yeah. And it's, it's so horrifying the violence um cartoonish but like a cartoon that i almost like a snuff cartoon if that's a thing like it it was so just kind of
2: out of no and just out of nowhere too because the whole movie is like pretty it's pretty subdued the whole way through but then it just explodes at the end
0: yeah and for the trail of bodies that these guys leave behind them accidentally you don't really see any of it like it's a lot more um subtle or implied violence And I don't know if that's a budget thing, but I think it was kind of cool. Like it did, it kind of kept the tone where it should have been. You know, it was more almost like an adventure rather than it was like a gritty crime drama. Like you see a lot of people die and there's blood, but it's all like sort of you walk into the um, the aftermath. You don't actually see much of the for sure real violence. No, and
2: I think I think that the reason for that is I I think with a lot of different. Um, films when things aren't directly explained to you. That's why I think, you know, we talk about this sometimes, how movies that are very heavy in exposition and just explaining things, it Mm -hmm. just takes away a lot of the imagination. And when you, when they don't give you all the pieces, like again, we kind of talked about this in the last, uh, in the last episode that we did, this idea of hard and soft world building, when not all the answers are given to you and you kind of have to sort of interpret things yourself and give your own sort of opinions. That's, I think, what makes a certain scene or a certain choice way more effective in horror mm. movies um you know sometimes the scariest things are the things that you don't see right right and so yeah. I, I think i think it lends i think the same thing lends itself to yeah i know exactly the scenes you're talking about in Lockstock where there are you just kind of walk in on the aftermath of a huge shootout you they don't you don't see exactly what happened but you can just you can only imagine what happened and that's what makes it that's what makes it really cool
0: mm-hmm. i don't know why more of the people in this movie didn't become bigger stars um but mm-hmm. i don't nick moran i think plays Eddie, the main guy the card player that loses all the money i've only yeah. ever seen him again in harry potter he plays like one of the snatchers on voldemort's team in the, the <laughs> battle of hogwarts like he's barely in I and i looked I up his imdb yeah i looked up his imdb i don't recognize anything else he's been in but i think he's he's quite good he's funny and like you know it's like
2: well that's one of the things i really liked about this movie. yeah the thing i liked about this movie more so than snatch um was that the cast seemed very understated to me like i think the biggest movie star in it would probably be jason statham who wasn't even yeah. big at the time but i mean th- it's big enough that you can look at guys and think oh you know i've, I've seen him around you know like vinny jones for example like i've seen him in other films before but it's not distracting whereas right. with a film like snatch you're looking at like a major a list hollywood celebrity in brad pitt and so mm-hmm. the whole time he's a great actor and he he plays the role in that movie well but you kind of still always have in the back of your head, oh, you know, I'm watching I'm watching Brad Pitt act. Or it's the same thing right. with Tom Cruise, you know? Any movie you see Tom Cruise in, even if he's a great actor and he really kind of goes into that role deeply, you still sort of in the back of your head know, okay, I'm watching
0: Tom Cruise act right now. Right. Did you see and The that's why I think
2: he- no, I didn't.
0: No. It's his newest one. And it was like lauded as like a return to form for Guy Ritchie. And my, it was better than the stuff that he's done since Snatch, between Snatch and The Gentleman in 2019. That's like a 19 year window. I would say there's a lot of like <laughs> either off brand or just flat out terrible movies in that list there's a couple i really liked rock and rolla which is another british crime one but that almost goes to my point i think when they tried to make these palatable for american audiences Mm -hmm. um it's like some of the best stuff about this movie is that it seems un-american one of the biggest problems in this movie is they're trying to figure out how to rob their neighbors and they can't find any guns or if this is American movie, they'd have their like shelf in the basement, or you go around the corner and you buy one, and it was really cool that it's like their criminals have guns, they're around, you know that it's not like a completely non-violent society but it's like it's part of the processes of them having to find these guns and they end up with these like antique shotguns that end that's up that's really worth, like- cool
2: <laughs> i yeah i'd never thought of it that that's actually really that's a really really good
1: point actually
0: though. and when you see snatch you're right brad pitt's in it and they there's it's still a good movie but i think it's supposed to be a bit more it almost seems like it was um because you have a star attached, it'll make more money, which I know was a calculation yeah, they need to 100%. make. But I think it takes away from it a little bit. And then in the gentleman, Definitely. Matthew McConaughey's in it, and he plays an American. Like so, Hunt,
2: so it isn't Charlie Hunnam in it, like another. Yeah, but he's he's
0: really. at least British. Like that, that's still big movie stars, but at least he's actually British. Like where Matthew McConaughey is yeah, American, okay. he plays an American. But there's a couple other things in there where I think when they tried to. One of the things I like about this movie and you made the same note is that it's self-aware, like this stuff yes, with Chris explaining so. how we got out of it. It's like, I think we're in the clear and they kind of walk <laughs> through all of the steps. It's <laughs> funny because it feels, it catches you up. It fills in any things you might've missed, but it's also just like kind of clever and funny. Um, I think like when they added the, Plots get more and more confusing, and then they add these like Americans to the movie to try to like bring people in to see them in the theater. Um, mm-hmm. It it sounds weird to say like he sold out or it cheapens it a bit, but I think it it cheapens a bit it a bit. Do you watch Succession, yeah. the TV show Succession? No, never heard of it. There's one of the sons is in it. I can't remember the guy's name. It's Jeremy Strong or something. He plays the oldest son in uh, Succession, and he's an American in um, uh, the gentleman. And just okay. the way he talks, I was watching it with Anita. He's like an American who's pretend not pretending, but has lived in Britain for so long. He starts to like affect this British accent. And Matthew McConaughey's character is Michael. And he keeps going, I don't know about that, Michael, Michael, Michael. Like it's just the way he's saying it. Like, God damn it, this guy is so bad, whether it's on purpose or not. It's like they needed a name. They brought in this guy and it ruined it a little bit. And um yeah. there's something about this like almost no-name movie that's so good and there's something about it being relatively starless that is appealing like it does make it i don't know if it's world building per se but it's it's cool you sort of get this whole like london underbelly that i think most people look at england and don't see you know like it we talked uh
2: we talked a little bit about this in the last episode just this idea that you know, this sounds very pretentious, but art is kind of at its best when it's very personal and honest and authentic. Mm -hmm. And Guy Ritchie definitely has um, a very distinct style. Like it's kind of just, as you said, it's, you know, he sort of, you know, his films take place in yeah, the sort of seedy crime underbelly of the UK with, you know, these sort of caricatures of uk crime bosses and mm-hmm. you know i have in my notes here that it's it, the film was almost hard for me to digest at at first because it's got such a crazy plot and it's very liberal in it's use of british slang and this mm-hmm. and it, they ha- and these are british accents where it's like basically a different language where you like they're speaking english but you still need subtitles at certain points so i had to right. actually watch this movie twice just to <laughs> fully understand what was going on uh-huh. but um but again that's Again, one of the notes that I wrote is Guy Ritchie, his films are they're edited kind of weird, and they're kind of sloppy and they're kind of unpolished. but that that's what you would want these movies to be. You don't want these movies to be fast and slick and clean right. and polished because they're they have very dirty settings and very dirty plots, you know, quote unquote, you know, they, they, yeah. it's not meant to be it's not meant to be a, a clean viewing experience if that makes any sense.
0: Well, you and I sort of live in it I'm sure everybody feels this way, but we sort of live in like a interesting, time because i think we're just young enough where everything in certain cities has always been awesome like i think mm-hmm. and we have talked about this before um with comedians and cars getting coffee is going to come up a lot but there's the one with colin quinn where they're talking about like they're driving into the city from wherever they were and you get like the view in new york as they come under the bridge and um he says the city used to have a lot more like character um, like Times mm-hmm. Square was full of like porn shops and all that stuff. And now they've completely cleaned it up and made it touristy. And the yeah. debate between them is like, I don't know what I prefer because at a S in the past, you had all of this flavor and color and differences. Um, and now it's all disnified. but mm-hmm. at the same time you're not being held up by a knife. So it's like, do you prefer like soulless, corporate signs and like completely clean downtowns but no flavor or interest or having somebody hold a knife to your throat yeah (laughs) it sounds like an easy choice but they lose some of the color and i think what this does really well is like people's opinion of britain is pretty like royal family and lords and posh and polite and just like anywhere else it's got like it's scumbags and it's bad regions and whatever. And it was really kind of cool to see like, this is probably before London really started turning into like the European financial capital. There was still some of that like underworld stuff. I'm sure it's still there, but it's like now it's actually underground where before like Hatchet (laughs) Harry's operating out of his porn shop and it's just a street. It's like a red light district, just random street in London. Um, Yeah. And I've never I've never been there, but it does make it seem it's a different take on um, England than you normally see.
2: Well, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. You know, this idea of, you know, the sort of mass appeal character of of a place versus a very a very distinct identity i think Mm -hmm. i think you need a little bit of both at certain times um because yeah there are certain environments that like you said it it could it might have a lot of personality but it might just be realistically just unbelievably dangerous but at the same time you know that's where it's things are kind of more interesting when they're unique and they're not just cookie cutter yep. four quadrant type stuff. So I, mm-hmm. I you know I, I, I totally agree. it's it's kind of an unanswerable question of you know which one is better which one is better per se. Right. but uh, um I think I think with Guy Ritchie, I, you kind of touched on it. Um, you know, between snatch and the gentleman, people were kind of celebrating how he was sort of, as they say, going back to form because, you know, Guy Ritchie, yeah, it's great that he probably got paid a boatload of money to direct Aladdin and he probably Mm -hmm. got paid a boatload of money to direct uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies and all these other massive studio produced movies. But, at the end of the day, he was paid to do something that he probably wasn't very inspired to do. He probably didn't write those scripts. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did. I, I have to I have to research them. But oh, it's obvious. So. Aladdin obviously is not in his wheelhouse as far as like being a movie like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels or Snatch or The Gentleman. It's not a crime. It's not a British crime comedy uh you know with yeah. aladdin so right i mean it, like what i prefer what i do i want him to be successful and make tons of money of course but at the end of the day if i'm gonna watch a guy Ritchie movie i'm gonna watch you know i'm gonna watch one of his more personal films i guess
0: yeah you want this one like i do think looking back at the totality of it i think that this is the best one i don't know if it's the one i enjoyed the most um interestingly about the city there's a movie he 2008 i think is rock and rolla A movie i also Mm. really like it's a british crime film i don't think there's americans in it but it's definitely more of like a studio movie and part of the Mm. plot from that one is like they there's like a russian billionaire and their complaint about them is that they keep coming in and buying up all the property and they're making it really expensive for people to live there so you can see london changing just in the career of guy ritchie is like in 1998 it's these sex shops and in snatch it's these underground boxing rings and then by 2008 it's bankers and art thieves and everything and then um, you know, it keeps progressing. So it's kind of interesting to see in those yeah, four movies, you do get to see London change. And this is how naive I am about this kind of stuff is I went, I was in Amsterdam um, two years ago and we went to the red light district. And my thought of it was like, Oh, this is going to be like a charming place like it's like i don't know why the fuck i thought that it's drugs and prostitutes <laughs> and all of this stuff and i just thought yeah. it was going to be like that's, quaint and that's not kind of like, on you <laughs> yeah no and my when i said that to people they're like what why how did you even think that was like i don't know i just thought it was like this nice little dutch town where there was this tiny quarter and like it was so naive oh, you just go to these towns oh, i just expected if it was a tourist attraction that it would be family friendly not I didn't expect it to be family friendly, but I didn't think it was going to be as like. I, I don't know. I actually didn't really so like you it. You saw that much. naked women of,
2: displaying themselves in these
0: shops. I where didn't know that's how, what it was. How
2: shocking were you? How shocked were you? when
1: you I saw knew that, that <laughs> it was
0: the center for prostitution and I knew that was the draw. And I guess I kind of thought that they wouldn't be on a single stool in the windows. I didn't know that it was like an almost an auction you know, like I, Oh my god. yeah, oh, naive, uh, but you adorable. go to these downtowns <laughs> when we went to New York, um, in grade 11, we got nothing that you couldn't have gotten in Toronto. You know, that right. was a cool yeah. trip and I'm glad I went and you've been again, but I've never been back. And it's cool to say you went to New York city and we got to go to Madison square garden. So there's stuff like that. But as far as it being like there was nothing about New York that I couldn't have gotten in Toronto with the exception of like the odd building. And like, I can't have gone up the empire state building, but we have the fucking sea and tower. So I don't really mm-hmm. see the huge difference. I don't, I never felt a culture of New York. And one thing that really does come across in this movie is like, even if it's not the dominant culture, like it is kind of cool to see how diverse England is. Um I have a friend here. Um I don't know where she's from in England, um, but she's, tall and blonde and she speaks with a nice accent and she's polite and whatever. And then she's dating this, like not a judgment on him, but I don't know how to describe him other than an absolute goon. Like he just (laughs) is like, like (laughs) he's just this big lumbering guy. He's rude. He's just not rude. Um, in an offensive way, he just is like a little bit crass. Yeah. And he's like, he's just like a soccer hooligan and he's got a completely different (laughs) accent and i said to her like oh like where is he from and she goes he's like five minutes away from me like up the road so he's from a different village and he's got a complete different accent and i think one of the knocks (laughs) on england is like and they get into this in snatch is like the um the pikeys or the gypsies or whatever they are live 20 minute drive away from them but they speak a language that even the british people who speak a lot of um who are used to slang can't understand like they show up in the in snatch and he's trying to buy a caravan and Brad Pitt goes, do you like dags? Dags. And then the guy's like, what? what? Sorry? He's like, dags. He's like, oh, you mean dogs? Like, it's just like the different yeah. sound between the O and the A. Like, there's so much, like, culture clash, even though they're all British. They're mostly white. Um, it's got some real, like, energy to it. And I just, like, that stood out this time, as it did seem really, really, like, an interesting place, not just, like, your typical I, view of London.
2: I I think maybe we kind of take that, for that sort of... Uh, in north america we take for granted just how how diverse and multicultural things are you know we got mm-hmm. like canada has so many immigrants and uh, you know it's, it's great but i think it kind of when you go to other countries every it's much much more i think the cultures are much more homogeneous so mm-hmm. the differences maybe stand out a little bit more whereas here right. i mean there's so many different cultures that you see on a daily basis yeah. regardless of where you live for the most part um it's it's uh you know it's maybe it's not a shock to us i don't know if that if that's to your point or not but that's Mm -hmm. i don't know
0: (laughs) this movie just has a lot of really cool um internal and external conflict like the guy um barry the baptist uh harry's like right hand man the big guy he Mm -hmm. um hates the northern monkeys the two guys that he hires to like steal the guns like he leaves <laughs> and goes i so like, fucking hate these northern monkeys and then the, he leaves and the guy goes i hate these southern fairies like they just yeah. hate each other so much <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, they do have
0: a really good chemistry and that's one thing i really liked about the four of those guys um tom soap um what's jason say character's name uh, uh I, doesn't I matter remember yeah um yeah whatever anyway the four of those the main guys the four, they really right, do yeah. seem like brothers like the scene where they're um they're driving back from the night at the bar they're celebrating and they're gonna go to their house and get their money and go pay harry and you kind of have like the folksy music playing over top of them it keeps cutting between them and the gangsters breaking into their house getting ready to like ambush them yep and in yep. the car they're all just sitting telling jokes and you never hear the whole joke you just like hear the Uh, the setup or the punchline for a different joke, but they're all just in the car driving around and laughing and seem like have a really good time. Like there is a really good energy um, to it. It's a lot of good character building, but I think the story I'm surprised you had to watch it twice. I guess I take it a bit for granted because I've seen it like a lot, Um, but I didn't think it was that. I didn't think it was that confusing. I think snatch can be and rock and roll. It can be, but um, this one I think was like, pretty pretty clear but i guess you yeah don't think so
2: for me it was it was a combination of like the plot does kind of slowly get very convoluted but also again just the just very very heavy british accents the yeah, british slang yeah. um maybe i just wasn't paying attention maybe i was just maybe tired when i was watching it the first time but i i mm-hmm. personally just kind of found it difficult to follow and then once once you kind of fall off the track and then things start uh right. sort of revealing Picking themselves up. like all the different plot twists it's you you just it's very difficult to get on board so i did have to watch it again and i paid a little bit more closer attention maybe i just have bad mm-hmm. attention span who knows but i think the the payoff for for maybe multiple viewings and, and like you said you've you've seen it multiple times at this point the payoff of paying attention or, or seeing it multiple times it's this is a really really i think super underrated funny um yeah uh, movie by by garichi there's yeah.
0: A really funny part where the bartender is talking to tom to explain who rory breaker is the guy with the afro yep. and yep. he they are literally subtitling him because he's speaking in such thick slang that you can't understand at all and like yeah. it's right at an yeah, airplane yeah. where the lady comes up who speaks jive to the like the two black guys on the plane it's like they can't speak right. to the stewardess but <laughs> he's talking about like um, they write the subtitles so formally, like it's like, "Please remove yourself from this bar." But the bartender's saying, "Like fuck off and like get out of here." And he's like, uh, he's drinking ping pong tiddly in the nuclear sub. <laughs> like it, yeah. it doesn't make any, any sense, but well, they both seem to like understand British, each other. And
2: British thing is always kind of like that. Like I, I think another movie that you and I both really like is um, uh, like the Ocean's films. Like Ocean's, yep. uh, I think yeah, Ocean's Eleven in particular, and mm-hmm. Don Cheadle plays um uh it uh, a british guy in it and just he there's certain points in the film where he uses the Cockney slang and if you're not yeah. familiar with it it makes absolutely no sense like oh you know he was in Bonnie rumble trouble you
0: know? yeah yeah that's the exact yeah, one i was like, thinking of too
2: yeah exactly so like it's 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 a different way of speaking and maybe that's kind of added like there's a lot of that i find in this in mm-hmm. and that's maybe why i found it a little bit difficult to
0: to stay on board but that's its personality too, right? Like I think no, it would be exactly, a much worse movie 100%. without it.
2: For sure. No, you're, yeah, that's 100% right. No, I, and I wouldn't you, want it any other way.
0: Yeah, and you wanted to talk about the card scene, I think, where he's losing his money to <clears throat> Hatchet Harry.
2: Right, yeah. Well, it's like there's some really, really good scenes in this movie. Um, it, the, again, for those who haven't seen it, basically the movie revolves around uh, this group of four guys trying to make it big in this sort of underground poker game. Uh, but what ends up happening is he loses, and the way that the scene is again directed, I found to be really, really interesting because he mm. loses—he loses half a million pounds, I think, is what it is um, in the film. And the way that the, the the music goes and the way that the film is shot, it it really portrays sort of the dizziness and the nausea that's associated when you lose really big. Like, as when I saw that scene, and I and you see the look on the—I mean, the kudos to the actor that plays. Um, uh plays that character but just like the the numbness that he feels and the nausea and the dizziness it just reminds me of when i was in school and Mm. you know you come out of a final exam and you think you did great on it and then when you get it back and you realize you failed it and it's actually (laughs) it's worth like a third of your final mark just yeah. again i just go back to just the dizziness and the numbness and the nausea that you feel that scene to me was uh, was really really was really well done i totally i totally felt or at least thought i felt what what he was going through in that moment just this oh yeah. my gosh I, what am i gonna do to get out of this
0: i don't have that experience with exams i had almost the exact opposite thing uh, no not the opposite because it was usually good on both ends like i would play the same foo fighter song before an exam Um, and then there's like, it's really slow leading up to the like guitar riff. And right when I would start my exam, I would unplug my headphones and then go in and write my exam. I just be like, so jacked up and would finish the exam, however long it took. And then after I left, I was like, well, that's done. You know, I'm just, I'm finished. There's no stress it's over. There's no, I'm not waiting for the results. We'll see how it goes. Um, so the exam thing, I don't really relate to, but the money thing you and Phil came up to visit me in Ottawa um yes my last yeah. year or my first year at the end of my first year and we went to the casino in Quebec mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember, I remember being there that. yeah and losing <laughs> and it probably wasn't even that much money it might have been 60 bucks but in I don't know what back then yeah a lot of money for me but it wasn't a significant amount um it was, a steam, yes, that's, a ton, that's a fortune <laughs> yeah 60 or 80 dollars on fucking war It was that was what we were playing was war at the (laughs) two um, card
2: poker is what they call it yeah yeah (laughs) yeah
0: and losing so much money for me and going. Immediately being like, I understand why people have gambling addictions. Guys, get me out of here! I need to go to the ATM and take out more money. You have to make me leave. And they're like, you didn't carry me out, but it was almost carrying me out, and it was that kind of I thing. The, where I it was,
2: I specifically remember the look on your face where you're like, uh, I gotta go to the, I gotta go to the ATM and get more money.
0: <laughs> I don't gamble because I don't think it's very fun, um, and I don't gamble because when I do, I'll go all in. Um, so not all in, I'll never bet my house, but I went to one of the, um, Native American casinos in, uh, Akwesasne, which is across the border from Cornwall one time. It's the only time I've ever won money in a casino. I was playing roulette and I was just betting red or black and the minimum bet's like five bucks. So I'm betting five bucks. And if you win, you double it. And if you lose, you lose it. And <laughs> I'm like freaking out over these $5, 50, 50 chances. And there's this guy beside me in like a white suit putting four or $500 down on random numbers throughout the thing. And I'm winning $10 at a time. I think I came out up 120 us. He must've lost nice. like, yeah, it was pretty, that was the only time it happened. Um, only time <laughs> I won, but he must've been losing at least when I was there a lot. Cause the odds on the numbers are like 36 to one. So when you win, you win big, oh, wow. but it's you, you, what are the chances that you win actually? And he yeah. was betting three or $400 at a time. And I'm freaking out over fucking $10 and he's just cool as a cucumber with $400 yeah. on the table. So it's, it's not for me. Cause like not, not my, my cup of tea. Um, my
2: dad once said it as well is like some of the fun of going to a casino is not actually gambling. It's watching guys like that throw away thousands and thousands of dollars because Ugh. you know that they probably go there all the, they're probably regulars. So $400 yeah. for them. That's, you know, instead of buying a new cell phone or getting a new TV or whatever, Buying right. new uh, buying something nice. They they the way they use their disposable income is to get that little rush of the potential to, to bet. Oh. People people live their entire lives that way. People bet way more than that. You know, oh my god. Horror stories of that kind of yeah.
0: stuff. The downside is not worth the upside, but I know that lot gambling loss experience, but it's not half a million pounds. It's 50 bucks.
1: Yeah. Can, <laughs> you, can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I
0: felt the same way afterwards. Like I said this to Anita, cause I, I know from experience, if I, we have to make a major purchase, like if we ever buy a car, if we ever buy a house, it's going to be the worst day of my life. Um, it'll be exciting in some ways, but the idea of turning over that much money to somebody makes me sick. Like when I bought my first car, it was not a pleasant experience at all. It just like it wasn't like oh I have a new car. It was like I'm fucking down ten grand. Like oh my god, like just in the pit of my stomach just hit so hard, and I can't imagine that five hundred thousand pounds. Um,
2: well, not only that, it's not that you owe somebody five hundred thousand pounds. It's that you don't pay it off. They say in the movie you don't pay this off, we're gonna cut your fingers off. So Yeah, <laughs> there's a, I, that's, that only adds to it, and I think that I the it was attitude the attitude of uh of being oh you know uh, you, you have like the the opposite of an impulse buyer. i think that's probably healthier in the long yeah. run even though be yeah. more comfortable for you <laughs>
0: I did think it was funny. Um, one of the other similarities between this and snatch is there is a bit of a voiceover in this one snatch really relies on it. A lot of like the movie is Jason say explaining, like here's yeah. what we do. Here's where we need to go. This is this guy. Like he's, it's a lot more exposition. It's not necessarily bad. It's just a lot more talking. This one has some voiceover, but not a ton. Um,
2: a little it's, bit in the beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But one of the really funny ones is after he loses the money, the voiceover comes in and it's like it freezes the guys at the bar. And then the um Alan says, he goes, <laughs> he, um Chris like was really nervous or whatever, but he like was very fortunate that Harry included his friends. If he said he didn't want his friends to be involved, it would have been a lie. And then it cuts back and the scene <laughs> starts moving. He goes, I wish to Christ he would have just let me settle this by myself. Yeah, but.
2: <laughs> such a good line. I remember. Yeah. That part specifically made me laugh out loud. Really?
1: really
0: yeah. Fun. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a good, like little cut in and it's one of those things I hate voiceover. Um, but when you use it well, um, or you use it and it like gets built into the narrative a bit. Um, it's, it can be quite good. And that was an example of uh, how they used it really well. Well, it's
2: kind of a trademark of Guy Ritchie movies too. I don't know if you remember, um, we used to really like watching college humor videos, this uh, mm-hmm. YouTube account. Um, and they their whole thing was they made these little short, funny videos about just random things. But one of the videos that they made was a parody on Guy Ritchie movies where they basically just kind of, they take all the sort of Guy Ritchie isms and make a made a funny video about it. And one of them was this idea of a, a narrator, sort of explaining these characters uh, in the film and kind of what their quirk is and what their purpose to the story is, almost. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, that's uh, you see it immediately in in Snatch. They all have these kind of ironic nicknames. You know, uh, like what what what's Chris's name in the in the film? Vinny Jones's character?
0: Uh, Bullet Tooth Tony.
2: No, in in rock two smoking barrels.
0: Oh, big Chris.
2: Oh, big. Okay, I thought it was something different. Okay, that's a bad. His son, his son is his little name, Chris. Okay, I thought I thought his name was little Chris. Um, but it, it's that would be like an example of like an ironic nickname because he's this massive guy,
0: right? Yeah. But there's Barry yeah. the Baptist and there's Harry Hatchet Harry yep. or whatever and yep. um, that's, yeah Barry the
2: Baptist because he drowns people.
0: <laughs> yeah, they do that in Lockstock a bit, but that's way more of a Snatch thing. Like they have oh, like Bullet to okay. Tony and uh, Boris the Bullet Dodger, or Boris the sneaky fucking Russian. <laughs> like all of these like little like quirky nicknames, and in Snatch they actually do like the the introduction, like the credits is like it cuts to all of them and then it like um, does like a Silk screen effect on the face and it has their name beside them. So instead of saying like Brad Pitt, it says like Mickey. Um, Jason Statham is Turkish. It, it introduces them all in the credits, but like they didn't do that here. They all have those names, but it wasn't like a stylized sort of thing in the same way.
2: I should go back and rewatch Snatch. I haven't seen that film in a while. It's good.
0: It, I make it sound like I'm complaining about it. Um, there's a lot of overlap. Um, the scene where um, Dog... Um, Vinnie Jones rear ends the guys in the car to get dog to like drop the knife from cutting his son's throat. And then he takes his head and he puts it in the door and he starts slamming the door. Wait. They do that exact same thing. Not only do they do that exact same thing in snatch, Vinnie Jones does that exact same thing in snatch. Like it's how you, oh, meet. Okay. it's like the same shot where the camera's kind of on the seat and it's looking up at him and you can just see him like slamming the car door and you know, it's this guy's head in between the wall of the car and the door. It's shot for shot, exactly the same same motion. Um,
2: Directors so sometimes a, do that. Their their films yeah. kind of have like a, a thread that go that ties them all together. For example, going mm-hmm. back to Tarantino, uh, Tarantino isn't as explicit as that. His is a little bit more subtle. But if you look in not all but most of his films, um, the cigarettes that his characters smoke are all the same brand of Red Apple cigarettes. Yeah, 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 and actually in the end of I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they actually have a commercial that. Uh, Leonardo Mm -hmm. DiCaprio does to sell it so yeah directors kind of uh, I think directors they like to um, it it gives them a a little bit more I guess personality
0: Mm -hmm. and it it is a good movie I just think I haven't watched that one in a while but I think just like Mm -hmm. looking back now I think I preferred that one for a while but I think that Lockstock is my um, my favorite one now it just it is it is quite good Um, you made a note about him doing something like an Ocean's movie you yeah think, what, what do you think about fit?
2: that like if he wanted i mean obviously he gets paid probably more for doing these sort of big budget uh studio produced films like do you think i i kind of thought like what what sort of fr- existing franchise would he fit into and i thought the oceans movies would be a good fit Like, what, what do you think about that
0: th- so much of those movies are about like glitz and class though like yeah, especially when yeah. they're in europe like um you know um that one is a lot about like they're thieves but they're like gentlemen thieves and they have all of these like rules and codes and stuff so you have like a note where it's like oceans 11 and uh grittier version i don't know if you if i think if it's grittier it's not oceans 11 um okay I, i think i see what you mean about like the uh complicated plots and the heist and the twists and everything Um, Well,
2: the way that I kind of saw it was, you know, what Christopher Nolan did for Batman was bring it, you know, before Batman Begins, Batman was this very cartoony, Joel Schumacher, very mm -hmm. colorful primary colors. And then he brought sort of a grounded realism. I thought it would be cool, I guess, if Guy Ritchie kind of did the same thing with an Oceans movie, you know, because like I said, like you brought like Oceans movies are very, everybody's super cool. Everyone's super slick. It takes place in Vegas, this very glamorous lifestyle. Wouldn't, Wouldn't it be cool? If it was the same, you know, heist type film, but sort of that UK street level. But then it kind of dawned on me at that point that that's kind of what a Guy Ritchie movie is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's like Guy Ritchie movies are just darker, grittier versions of Ocean's movies. They're grittier uh, heist
1: films, basically.
2: It
0: is funny when something <laughs> so... You have a complicated thought and then something so obvious dawns on you. I remember we at my school, we were trying to figure out um, a new way to like there was four periods in a day. And then we had 30 minutes at the end where the kids just like came and met their teacher and you're supposed to catch up with homework or whatever. And we didn't really like it. So we're trying to figure out a way to like work around it. And I'm spitballing with the principal, just going back and forth. What if we did this? What if we did that? This school does this, maybe we should try this. And then we got so deep in the weeds of it that at one point I like literally said, I was like, it would be nice if we just could have like a 30 minute window at the end of the day where we could meet the kids. And the principal was like, that's what we have. Like that's what we're trying to fix. And I was just like, "Oh fuck!" Like I just like completely walked into that just trap. In huge circle. <laughs> yeah. it was like I came to the realization that the idea I had this brand new idea to add a thirty minute period to the end of the day, and that was the exact problem we were trying to solve. Like it just was so wrapped around the idea I don't know of changing something. Genius, or you
2: know? if that makes you, it makes you an idiot.
0: <laughs> it's an idiot for sure. It's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I did think was funny was, and this goes to the Britishism of it or whatever you want to call it Um, the last standoff with um, big Chris and Tom in the office where Tom has the guns, but they're not loaded. And that voiceover comes in again. It's like, and Chris needed to respect that. Tom had two shotguns in his hand and couldn't make a move. And Tom (laughs) needed to respect the fact that those shotguns weren't loaded. So they both just left and everybody else got arrested. (laughs) Like it just cut through all of it. And one thing I thought was like, That's such a British, uh, talk about it being un-American. That's such a British thing. It's like they both like look at each other with some respect and then they both like politely make their way around. (laughs) And it reminded me, I got in uh, some tax trouble a couple of years ago because I didn't know. So what happened was if you move abroad, you're a non-resident in some cases, if you don't have any assets in in Canada. Um, So I applied for non-residency because I don't have to pay taxes. Like that's fine. That's completely legal. And I had worked here for two years and I was like, you know what? I'm sick of paying taxes and not getting any of the benefits from it. So I'm going to apply for non-residency. So I did. But what I didn't know is it made it like um, retroactive. So it's, it's not from when you apply, it's from when you leave. Mm -hmm. So one of the consequences of being a non-resident is you're not allowed to invest. So I had invested while I was away thinking I was a resident. And then it turned out I was a non-resident. So all of those investments were illegal. So oh, wow. the, the, it not in a, and here's the funny part. It's not a big deal because I messaged the, or whatever, called the government. I said, this is what happened. Um, I didn't know I was an unresidence. My status came through. I immediately closed all my investments. that are in the bank account. Um, I'm trying to follow the procedure. I just want to make sure everything's square so I don't get in trouble in five years for tax evasion. and <laughs> yeah. uh, Cause I made money on the investments and I wasn't paying tax. So I was like committing tax fraud, but accidentally, so they like gave me like a $3,000 fine. <laughs> so then I said, I was yeah. like, I'm like, I have the money. It's the, it was the profits I made from the investment. That's what they fine you. Um, so it's, it's completely fair. They weren't like, but it was still three grand I had to pay. So I was like, look, I just want to get this settled. What do I need to do? Like, Oh, well, like, you know, this happens a lot. Canadians go abroad and they don't fully understand the rules they are a little bit complex. So like if you just write us a letter explaining what you did, like maybe like throw an apology in there, like we'll let you keep the money. That is the most Canadian really? fucking thing. Yeah. No it was like It's like you made a mistake. Did you, you've, Yeah, it was like you've made a mistake. You've done the steps to fix it. It's in the grand scheme of things. Three grand on a tax evasion is a lot for an individual. It's nothing to the government. So like, oh, just like claim it fill out the paperwork and then include a letter explaining what happened, what you did. And like, say, you're sorry for the inconvenience. And then I got to keep the investment money. And I was like, that is the most Canadian fucking thing in the world. Like you just apologize and they let you keep your money. And that's That's what I thought when I was watching the British standoff was there was the two guys with guns and it's a tense moment. And then they both just like kind of nodded each other and then go out the side doors. I cannot
2: think of another culture that can simultaneously have like some of the most scary people in the entire world. Like when you think of British crime, mo- like monsters, some of them are terrifying individuals. Yeah. But it's also a culture that's so stereotypically polite and yeah, like, yeah. Th- th- proper and tea and crumpets, right. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so <laughs> that yeah, that's that scene. Yeah, of them just politely. Walking away when they could both murder each other, yeah, yeah. That's so apropos for, for for a British crime movie.
0: And if this were a Tarantino movie, that's what would have happened, right? Like there would have been the oh,
1: yeah, quick camera sure.
0: turns and whipping around, and everybody would have been dead. And that does happen here, but you don't really see it. And uh, you know, it's it's a really cool world. It's a really cool like tension that they have. Um, the soundtrack is really good. It kind of reminded me of yep. the Superbad soundtrack. It's a lot of like funk and like old soul music and. Yep, um yeah. there's a good iggy pop song in there and um i guess the unanswerable question for this is at the end of the movie when tom's hanging over the bridge and he's going to dump the guns and they're calling him trying to get him to pick up because they realize there were something what do you think he he does like i know it's it's think not that, a cliffhanger yeah. but
2: i think that's kind of what <laughs> part of what makes there's a where am i go with this these kind of these types of sort of british uh crime movies. A lot of times they they're they have these main characters who are they're kind of they have these very complicated plots that they come up with, but if they're at their core, they're not they're not the smartest people in the world. So it's just mm-hmm. it, it was very fitting for the final shot of the movie to be these idiots who are spend the whole movie <laughs> trying to make as much money as they can. And he's dropping these two guns that are worth a million dollars each and he has a phone in his mouth that he's that if he just answers, they'll be loaded. But he's yeah. there with the intent of getting rid of these guys. It's just <laughs> that was that's a, that might that might be one of the sort of funnier endings to one of these types of movies that I've ever seen. It's Cause, good, yeah. yeah. It, like because what? Yeah, what would he do? He has to either drop the guns to answer the phone, but if he drops them, then
1: yeah, no, that's, that's and it keeps thing. it light. And then,
2: yeah, the song that yeah it keeps it light and the song that plays at the end. It, it just, mm-hmm. Yeah, it perfectly perfectly wraps up really wraps up the film because yeah how terrifying would it be if you told you were yelling and screaming at your friend to get rid of these these guns because they could incriminate you and only to realize like 10 seconds later that they're worth a million dollars each
0: yeah it's a really good um funny movie and if people and i'm sure a lot of people haven't seen it so if they haven't it's definitely worth yeah no uh, it definitely flies
2: under the radar because kind of like you said this uh this this one sort of is overshadowed by sort of his Bigger films like Snatcher, by Sherlock Holmes, or, mm-hmm. uh, or or the Gentleman that just came out, but you definitely go check this one out. This is a this is a really good one.
0: Yeah, well, I guess we can wrap it up there. This one is a little bit longer than normal, but I think we're finally into. I thought last week was good choices, but I think we're finally into like consensus like actual favorites, you know, like I do love Almost yeah. Famous, but um this one was one that's been with me for a long time. Like I think Almost Famous is yeah. relatively new discovery. This is like this is sort of why I started liking movies. Um Guy Ritchie and this sort of style. It's like you're you're watching actually, it for everything, not just for story. Um this is kind of where that's it began. Actually I cool would say to, I was fifteen years it, right? old. And so yeah, it was is um definitely worth watching. I lock Lockstar could do smoking barrels anyway. <laughs> and you (laughs) you would highly recommend eternal sunshine both Um, of them yeah yeah but we'll wrap it up there and uh, we'll try to be back with another one next week